0: Are we doing this? Really? Wait for it. Are we doing this? Wait for it. How? What the fuck? WTF? And it's also, eh, what the fuck? What's wrong with me? It's time for WTF? What the fuck?
1: With Mark Marin.
0: Okay, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck buddies? What the ears? What the fuck agents? I just made that one up. A lot of them are coming in. I can't keep up with them. That's it. I'm only doing 3. I am Mark Marin. This is WTF. Welcome to the show. I'm glad you're listening today on the show Joe Rogan will be here in the garage in a little bit. Looking forward to talking to Joe. Got some things I want to talk to Joe about. All right, let's get into a little riff here before uh before I get Rogan in here. I've been thinking about irony again. I've been thinking about I've been thinking about Charlie Sheen. I've been thinking about you know, myself i've been thinking about integrity i've been thinking about this idea of ironic detachment how much that word gets thrown around it sort of annoys me the thing that kind of threw me for a loop or that got me thinking about this i was in in atlanta and when you're in atlanta you know there's all this uh, everyone wants you to go to this claremont lounge now i didn't go because of my assumptions that's fine i wasn't condescending i just didn't want to deal with that i don't like dealing with crowds uh, i i don't drink and I, you know, there was part of me that did not want to see these uh, beat up old strippers doing their thing. Now, someone said to me on Twitter or in person, I can't remember. Is there a difference anymore, folks? Is there someone said to me, uh, it's ironic. Now, now, what does that mean? What does it mean that it's ironic? It's, is it ironic? Is the place ironic? Is your being there ironic? Are you looking at it ironically? What does ironic mean? Does that mean that you're using the word ironic to detach from something that is pathetic and mock it or condescend it or laugh at it? Is that what ironic mean? Is that is that your disposition? Is that your excuse for not committing to your emotional reaction to it? Is an ironic disposition another form of cowardice that you, just enables you to repress your emotions or not have them or do whatever you think the rest of the people are doing? I'm sick of this fucking irony shit. I'll tell you man, because in a situation like that if you're saying it's ironic, does that mean the strippers are in on it? Are they are they all old and backstage and beat up and saying to the, each other, "Hey, isn't this great? We're really turning stripping in on itself. We're deconstructing it. We're presenting it in a different way. Our very existence is mocking the reality of what people expect from strippers in the day and age we live in now. I'm so glad we are so clever." Do you think that's really the conversation going on backstage or they just have happy that people are coming and throwing money at him for whatever reason they may be throwing money at him i tell you man in some situations if you think you have ironic detachment you're actually more depraved than the guys who are going there to actually get some prurient excitement some sexual satisfaction if you're there to say like oh man this is so fucked up oh dude look at her she's so old Oh, this is so fucking sad, man. This is excellent. Hey, get me a shot of Jaeger. You're more depraved than the guy going, oh, yeah, come here, bring bring those wrinkly old things over here. I, I just love it. I just love it. You're more depraved than that guy because you are disingenuous. You are dishonest. Your ironic detachment makes you half a person, makes you lack a self, makes you a coward. I mean, I just think about this because there was a time, and I, I think I've talked about some of this before, where, you know, the great philosophical question used to be, you know, what is the meaning of life? And now the great philosophical question is, how am I being used and am I okay with that? What am I willing to sacrifice my sense of self for, my my sense of well-being, my sense of integrity? How much money is that worth? I mean, is it ironic to be at a job that you know you hate, but because you're overqualified or you have no choice and that you're very aware that, you know you could be doing better things or bigger things that as you sit with that feeling that you are taking an ironic position and that makes you feel better is that is that real irony or is that just sad how long does that go on for before you realize like e- this isn't worth it you know I'm compromising my integrity i'm killing part of my soul here that's not ironic that's tragic i'm not an ironic person i'm a tragic person because I'm not willing to take the steps necessary to fulfill the dreams that I have, to to, to make myself a person of integrity. Look, I've, I've everybody has sold out a bit at some point in their life. Everyone's taken chances. Everyone's uh, done what they had to do. You gotta do what you have to do. But either you live with that, and you, you honestly own it that this is what I'm doing, or you sit there for your whole life thinking like, well, I could be doing anything. I could be doing something better. I could be some, doing something more creative. You know, I'm better than this job It's just like, you know, I'm getting paid good. Now, when was that? When did that become not selling out? When did that not become a compromise? When did the cleverness and creativity of the commercial, you know, transcend the fact that it is a commercial? When did that happen? When did everything become a level playing field in terms of, you know, what has integrity and what doesn't? But everybody's got these problems, and at some point... You know, at some point, you've got to make a stand for yourself. At some point, you got to realize, like, I did compromise my integrity. Do I want it back or do I live with this? It's just interesting. I've been thinking a little bit more about the Charlie Sheen thing for reasons that I'll, I'll get to, you know, I'll, I'll talk about later. But just in terms of the fact that no matter what level of success you are at, you know, when one snaps for what, whatever reason, you know, there's a freedom in that snapping. There's an explosive expression, you know, of poetry and rage and insanity that is probably the most honest anyone's going to be in their life. When are you going to have your explosive rage and poetry about just the condition of your life? Where is that moment of freedom for you? And do you have it? Do you think about it? Do you fantasize about it? And can you ever transcend whatever compromises you made in your life to compress your soul into the coal that it is. But look, man, I you know I hosted a game show. I did. Some of you know about it. It was the worst fucking time of my life. I was broke. I had somehow bent it in my mind as something that I could make my own, but I've never been very good at hiding the fact that I'm filled with hate. It was the American version of Nevermind the Buzzcocks. Maybe I've talked about it before, but thank God it didn't take off. I had no idea how the flow of the game went or what it was about or, you know, I, did, I, I didn't I did care, but I needed the money. So I did that and I felt fucking disgusting for it. I got sick, I got skinny, I got, you know, I felt like I'd compromised everything that I'd worked for and I made 75 grand, I got out of the hole, I got through the first divorce and the thing didn't take off. Thank fucking God, I got lucky. I don't know what I would have been Had I been hosting that thing or whether or not that explosion of rage and honesty and poetry in order to regain my freedom after I took it up the ass that hard for money would have saved me. Thank God I did not have to deal with that. I got lucky. Now I'm in my garage exploding twice a week for you. I mean, the enemy of irony is having the courage to love something or like something or trust your own opinion and not be part of the united front of condescension, of fear, of, of, of actually having feelings about something that may be tragic or pathetic or dated or not your thing. Go find your thing. Don't go back in time or go into sordid little holes where you can sit there and pretend like you're above it all, like you're pompous, like you are better than like you were representatives of the empire. Did you read that article by Brett Easton Ellis about Charlie Sheen on post-empire, the difference between empire and post-empire and cultural thinking? It's a fascinating little uh, essay. It's very interesting. I don't know where it's leading. I don't know what this post-empire culture uh, uh, world that we're living in on an entertainment level is, is going to be, what it's going to mean to civilization. But man, we want it all on the table. The more menacing the truth, the better it feels to witness. You know, you build something about somebody in your head. Right. And then nine times out of 10, you know, you see them, and you're like, oh, hey, what's up, man?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, Brian Callen, a good friend of mine, just recently ran Brian. into Mencia. And uh, Mencia was like, because uh, a lot of people think Brian and I are brothers. And yeah. It on IMDB, and for whatever reason, we decided not to change it. Yeah. And he was like, uh, how's your brother? Haven't seen him since that whole thing went down. Tell him I said hi. Like, That's what Carlos said? Yeah, like, what? Like, yeah. yeah. He's an interesting guy.
0: Yeah, but like the thing you were talking about with my wife is that I, as much as I hate her, or I don't hate her, but as angry as I was, if I saw her again, there would be part of me to be like, "We okay? We good?" Yeah. yeah you want to give your baby back to that guy that you had it with and come back and live with me? <laughs> <laughs> Joe Rogan, Yikes. it's Yikes. happening. Is in the uh, garage here at the Cat Ranch. It was weird that you told you tweeted something, and you said, "We've known each other for years, but uh, but we've never had a conversation. Never really have." It's weird, right? Yeah, it's real. I mean, I've had a, uh, a relationship with you in my mind. <laughs> I mean, I've known, I mean, I remember when you started doing comedy, I think. Uh, I remember very much when I started doing comedy. Because Was it 88, 87?
1: 88, August 27th.
0: Really? You yeah. know the date? Yeah, yeah. I remember you showed up at Stitches. Are you going to say something nice about
1: me? Yeah, I was going to say that you—I uh, had been doing comedy maybe five or six months. Yeah, and you were already an established professional comedian, and you came up to me at the Comedy Connection, and you gave me some really nice advice and a compliment, and it fired me up, and I was really, really, really excited. Yeah, do you remember what I said? I, I would have to be paraphrasing, but you know, you would—you you were saying something along the lines of you're doing really great stuff. Keep with it. Stay original. Keep writing. Just yeah. keep doing it. And you know,
0: I wonder if I—I, uh, I, you know, that's one of those things because I remember. You know, when I first saw you, uh, I had this problem with guys who were, you know, athletically oriented mm. or had some sort of athletic nature about them before they came into comedy. And I remember that you and Kevin Flynn, he was like a soccer guy. Yeah. And you were a kickboxing champion. And there was part of me that was like, "We di- this is not for them. <laughs> this, this is not their world. Why are they here? Why don't they stay in their
1: competitive world? Oh, that's silly. Well, of course it's silly, but you were sort of a cocky fuck then, weren't you? Well, I I was definitely a lot different than I am now, but I was right. It was literally not even removed from fighting. I was still competing. And, you know, when you're fighting, I mean, I had three fights, three kickboxing matches while I was still doing comedy before I stopped doing it, before I realized I had to pick one road or the other. But, you know, it's a it's such a fucked up mindset when you're you're entering into a competition, you're agreeing to meet at a certain time and you're going to get into a, a, a ring and f- literally throw your bones at each other and try to hurt each other. It's a, it's a f- really fucked up mindset. And if you're not trying to do it for a living, if that's not your career, it's, it's something that you get wrapped up in it and it becomes you. It Did you becomes... bring that to comedy though? Was I sensing something? I don't think so. I mean, I, I just had it about me. I'm sure, you know, I mean, I was still competing. You're, you're, you're guaranteed to be fucked up if but you're I, doing that. You're always, were you, you know.
0: always like that though? I mean, do, I mean, I mean, so I guess we're all competitive, but I, I tend to not in my life. I wish I was driven towards sports. So I would have some sense of healthy competition. Cause with me, it's always life threatening and it's going to get personal. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter what it is whether it's Trivial Pursuit or a
1: softball game. At some point, I will be so upset that I will have to quit do you get, like, upset at ping pong games or, you know, playing pool or something? You well,
0: get... I'm very, like, I know I can do it. I'm one of those guys that, like, for the first game, I'm focused, I'm in it, and I can play well. But by the second game,
1: I'm like, yeah,
0: you know, I can't follow through with this competition thing, and you're an asshole.
1: Well, I was always very competitive because uh, I had a fucked up childhood, and winning at things was one of the few things that gave me some sort of a sense of self-esteem, some sort of a sense of... What, was... did, did your dad beat the shit out of you? Didn't beat the shit out of me, but beat the shit out of my mother, and uh, my parents were divorced when I was about five and my mom remarried when I was seven and we traveled all over the country we, we my my stepdad was a he was a computer programmer and he became an architect better so, guy much better guy very nice guy
0: someone told me that if if someone like if your brother is the one getting beat up or your mother or something like that that it has more of an effect on you than you getting your ass kicked
1: um, I'm sure it does I don't know you know because he never beat me no one ever beat me up when I was a kid Um, I was lucky in that regard but watching that happen you know it's still it's one of the most profound memories of my childhood I don't know necessarily if what I'm seeing in my brain I mean your 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 entire body recycles itself every seven years, except for your neurons. This we, is the, this we really is don't the stuff even know.
0: I wanted to learn from Joe because <laughs> I know he's doing the big work. I do <laughs> I'm doing a lot of weird <laughs> shit. Know, know.
1: but you know we don't know what our memories really are. You know you don't exactly know if what you I mean. How many times have you thought you remembered something and then went and saw the place where you grew up and like, wow, this is so small. Well, don't and you so also different?
0: build a myth kind of that? Yeah. Don't you construct a memory that sort of functions to hold it? As, as an emotional thing in your life, like I find yeah. as I get older, they're diminishing. So you're saying that much of that stuff, if you don't reframe it every seven years, somehow it'll just go well, away. I don't
1: even think it's a reframing issue. We don't know where the memories are stored. I mean, there's a lot of people that believe that memories are actually non-local. They're or...
0: stored they're in these
1: photographs right <laughs> here. I, that's what that's <laughs> that how helps. they sell those
0: to us. It definitely helps. That was that's a that's a memory of my first my second wife when I liked her. Right there, I still uh, have A it photo. Up. It's Pathetic. Is that um uh, Dr. Katz? That's a Dr. Katz cartoon. He was cartoon. the
1: uh, host of the very first open mic night I ever did.
0: I remember when Johnny's Nothing in Dr. Katz. Yeah. I remember you at Stitches, but let's get back to this okay. thing, this framing of memories. So uh,
1: anyway, all I, that's my, my big memory from my childhood is my mother coming home with hamburger meat and my father being upset that it was hamburger that she had brought home for dinner. And he beat the shit out of her and that was the last time and then I, we we left it's hard for me that. to even hear that
0: i mean like you left in the middle of the night kind of
1: laughter i don't really totally remember i just remember all of a sudden we were staying at my grandfather's how old were you maybe five four or five I'm not sure
0: and do you think that somehow or another that put that fight in you
1: on Un, yeah unquestionably yeah you know the, the the desire to defend yourself you know and i was always small and too. defend your mom yeah that too yeah I mean my, my stepdad came along really quickly luckily you know we moved yeah. to a new apartment and she met this guy and he's a really great guy um, but you know there's that feeling that you can't trust anybody like I thought my dad was this great guys you know when you're a kid your dad's your hero you right know? and then all of a sudden I realized when I was five years old very clearly that my dad was a douchebag was he a drunk no he's just a big scary guy he's just a really violent guy
0: it's interesting because I think some people at some points in your life would have thought that about you that you were a pretty scary, tough maybe, little guy. but I didn't
1: do anything to anybody. You yeah, know, maybe you know, maybe if you you looked at me or something, but yeah. not from dealing with me. You know, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm a pretty nice guy. Yeah, I, I, know? I, I'm finding that in the
0: last few times I've met you. I <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: we don't know each other. So that's the weirdest thing. <laughs> that you're pretty you know? nice guy, and I've tried to always be nice to you because in my mind you were this guy that really said something really nice to me when I was you know a basically a total beginner
0: well i will tell you how that all evolved in a second but i'm still a little curious about um the do you do you talk to your real
1: father no i don't know him i haven't seen him since i was six and haven't to him since i haven't spoken he's never reached out seven. no and his name is joe rogan too and he, he was a martial arts guy which is really crazy so he must know who i am how,
0: how did you know how did you <laughs> find that shit out about
1: him well, I knew about him when I was young. I mean, he was doing karate when I was a little kid. When you were five? Yeah, he was, was always doing it, yeah. And you chose to do that? Well, I chose to do it because I was getting picked on. I was always small, and I was, didn't have friends because I was moving from place to place. I lived in uh, New Jersey until I was seven. Then we moved to San Francisco, lived there from uh, seven to yeah. 11, and then Florida from 11 to 13, and Boston from 13 to 24. So it was like I never had a group of friends. I was always the new kid in school, and I was little, so people fucked with me, and I didn't like it. And so I tried to figure out how I could do something about that. And so I started doing martial arts.
0: It's just interesting to me that this guy that, you know, you hated because he destroyed you emotionally by doing that to your mom, then you sort of, you know, became a warrior in the same... Field,
1: sort of, you know, he wasn't never as dedicated as it was. I was. So he really he did some really... research I mean, well, because I he just had know like... from my mom. Oh, really? Know, from talking to her so, when so I was younger,
0: she says he's a, he was never that good.
1: No, he just didn't didn't do it that often. He's right. you know, he was a cop and he was uh, doing oh, it God. sort of along with. The story cop. gets deeper and deeper. Yeah. A cop in New Jersey.
0: A New Jersey cop Yeah Did you know? find out anything else about him? No like, you know, was well,
1: he... I ran into his friends once When I did a show in Florida Recently? really bizarre Yeah, maybe three, four years ago
0: They came up to you and yeah, said and uh,
1: said uh, You know, hey, we're cops from blah blah ba blah, blah. you are uh, Joe Rogan's kid I go, yeah And he goes uh, So, uh, you know blah, blah. He asked me a couple questions I go, I don't know him I haven't seen him since I was seven
0: But that means he knows Who you are very yeah. well
1: Oh, I'm sure he does His daughters He has daughters That tried to contact me And they were um, uh, They're like my half-sisters, I guess Yeah know? And, you know, they were really trying and they even tried to contact me when I was on stern. Yeah. They like were calling in and trying they were trying to get like, right. in there with me and they were trying to arrange and I was like fuck that. I don't need any weird people that I'm connected to through just genetics, you know. Are
0: you are you, are you curious as to whether or not he went on being a, you know, a domestic abuse person?
1: I <sighs> he had to be. He, I mean, he was so over the top. I mean, unless he had some massive mushroom trip, I don't see how he could have ever seen himself in, in a different way. I mean, he was just a really, what I remember of him, you know, yeah. and again, it's just weird memories. He was, a, I've, I've only, I remember two very violent moments from him. One when he beat up my mom and one when he beat up one of my cousins, like a 16, 17-year-old cousin. I don't remember exactly what that was about. Yeah. He, the, the cousin had accidentally hurt somebody or something, and he picked him up by his hair, like literally in the air by his hair. It was terrifying. God damn it. Yeah. Terrifying.
0: Yeah. And, it's, and so,
1: you know, growing up around violence and, and, and seeing that kind of shit, I didn't want anybody to be able to do that to me. I wanted to be able to defend myself. So, so it's a control how, anyway. and
0: protection thing.
1: Yeah. D- yeah. Just no one's going to fuck with you. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, I don't want I don't want to be fucked with. It's like, what are the options? Do I carry a gun? What do I, what do, I do? Do I, I bring weapons with me everywhere. Or did I do I learn how to fight and defend myself?
0: Did you ever have to engage it? in a fight? No, yeah.
1: honestly. One time in high school, but it was really quick, it was nothing. Are you know? disappointed about that? No, no, no. That's the fun, that's the first thing that goes away <laughs> when you actually learn how to fight is you don't you don't really want to. You You're know, like, like I can really hurt somebody. Well, is that? And it's also you realize how fucking stupid it is, and most of the time it's all about some weird sort of a social positioning thing. Someone's trying to push you down to build themselves up. It's it's a it's a, usually best avoided.
0: Well, the thing like I guess the thing that I responded to too because I know this in my own self and it probably is some reflection on me is that when I first met you, you know, you were very focused, you were very together, you come from this uh, you know, competitive uh, uh environment and this competitive mindset. You were a professional or uh, you know, at least a champion of what you did. And there was a certain you know element to you that was you, you were sort of like you definitely had this idea of who you were. You had this confidence and you know no one was going to fuck with that. And and I think that it became a little I think that you were a little. Uh, I know. I remember you were. You were very clean. You judged people that weren't. You know, doing. You know, that did drugs or drank. That you definitely judged them.
1: Really? What do you well, remember of that? Well, I just
0: remember that you know there was definitely a line drawn between people who were fuck ups and people weren't. I mean, is there a point? Am I misreading that? Was there a point where you were like, you know, if you're gonna fuck up your life?
1: Like, you seemed to have that control thing going. I definitely did, um, but I don't think I was too judgmental about it. I had a lot of friends that did drugs or didn't right. drink. I had a, a couple friends uh, that died from it. <clears throat> One my best friend, when I was uh, in my 20s, he died of, um, we, they don't know if it was heroin or, or coke. He had a, a, lot of, right. a lot of issues with drugs. Right. And I had grown up with uh, a buddy of mine whose cousin sold coke, and when we were in high school, I watched him deteriorate. I watched him completely fall apart. <clears throat> right going from this guy who was, like, this really fun, happy guy to being, like, a a, a waif. He was, like, really skinny, and he, him and his girlfriend would just sit in, they had a basement apartment, and they would just sit in the apartment, or an attic apartment, actually, and they would they'd sit in the apartment and just fucking watch TV and do coke. I mean, they never left the house, and it was spooky. It was like watching somebody who got poisoned or watching somebody who got, you know... Because they
0: don't know that it's happening, yeah, and they like, think they're having a good time.
1: They, well, it's like he became something different. He got, he got changed. He became, you saw him, you knew yeah. him
0: when he was a kid, and then he changed, he changed into and, that.
1: I was always terrified of being a loser. I was always terrified of being a, a failure or or not worth something. And like I said, my most of my self esteem had come from getting good at things. And initially, it was from art. I was a an, I was into drawing. I wanted to be a comic book illustrator. And then uh, as I got older, uh, when I started doing martial arts, then it became that. And then it became. Anything that would, any you know, doing drugs or fucking up your life would ruin my chances of being good at that. It would ruin the only thing that didn't make me feel like a loser.
0: So when you got, how old were you when you got the gig on news radio? I mean, you had been doing comedy, what, six years, seven years? Six years, yeah. yeah.
1: I think I was about 27.
0: How did Somewhere that come around. about? You because did how long did you live in Boston? Did you move there for comedy or was your mother no. there?
1: No, I I moved to Boston because my father went to the uh, the architectural whatever the your architectural stepfather school, stepfather. Yeah, and that was uh, when we were thirteen. When I was thirteen, so what live, part of Boston? We lived in Jamaica Plain at first, right, and then we moved to Newton. Lived in Newton from- That's nice Newton was nice yeah. No one's gonna fuck with you in Newton Well, they do Really? So fuck with you. Some Every- tough people Jews People fuck with you everywhere Some tough Jews in I Newton? lived in Newton Upper Falls Which oh. was like the uh, blue collar area of oh. Newton. Newton That's right I know. wonder where Louie lived Did that where Louie lived? I don't know. I think he went to you think he was on the other side? Ah. Oh. In a different place. So
0: you you were always because you're short. Yeah. Cause you're I'm got... short.
1: I was little, you Yeah, know, and I was I didn't know have friends, you know. It was all those But how things. come I
0: always pictured you as this fucking like, you know, balls of the wall, black Irish fuck? That was I don't just know. capable of getting Mostly ass.
1: mostly Italian, actually. Really? Yeah, I only have a little Irish in me. It's just my last name. Yeah, that's but... enough. But um, I don't know, you know, I mean, first of all, you know, like if you're not around someone like that and all of a sudden you're around some guy and you hear this guy's a, a martial arts champion and you know, now he's doing comedy. Yeah, I would probably feel the same thing. Like This is fucking guy invading our, our spot and ruining our, our vibe <laughs> and getting you know? all these
0: opportunities six years in. That was just I, dumb I, luck. I just have to admit to a little jealousy, but that doesn't surprise you, does it?
1: No. It's that's a the the dark element of comedy and anything artistic is seeing somebody else get something and for some reason or another you feel like they're taking from you. It's just like like why isn't that me? And why is that happening to them? It's like I've experienced it for sure. You know, like with
0: who? Like <sighs> when you were starting out, who were you jealous of? I mean, who did you emulate? You know, before. Oh, okay.
1: I can tell you this: when I first started doing stand-up, you know, it was the Boston Comedy Riot. Sure, and I did uh, that. Yeah, I forget his name, Brendan something or another. Won it. He was a nice guy, and I remember. Oh, I remember
0: that guy. He was a yeah, really nice guy. Very, very nice guy. Like it, I, I came in second in '88. So that you were just the, you just moved there. You, yeah, just you just started. Started. Yeah.
1: And he was like a very sweet guy. S- super sweet. And somehow or another, he stopped doing comedy. But I remember uh, he... He's smart. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. Maybe and he just realized, like, this is the wrong life.
1: I ran into him years later in New York uh, when I was doing Caroline's. He came by and said I wish Hi. I remember that guy's last name. I wish I do, too, because he was a really cool guy. But um, I remember he uh, started getting professional gigs uh, right after that. He won yeah. the riot. Yeah. He won the comedy riot, and then he started working. And I remember going, fuck, this fucking guy's working already? Yeah. Like, he's actually getting paid to do comedy? Yeah. Because that was, like the ultimate dreams to actually be able to pay your bills from stand-up and i was at the time i was delivering newspapers and driving limos that's what i was doing. and still fighting by that time i think i'd stopped i stopped six months in i did like i said i had three fights and i won two and the last one i got knocked out i fought um in this uh, tournament in rhode island and i fought two times that night Three times, rather, that night. I won the first two, and then I lost the third one. And I realized that I'm like, what am I doing with my time? And what am I... I mean, there's no money in this. I drove to Rhode Island to get punched in the face, you know? And, and, and it's really... I was doing it on momentum. But I was you, really, knew, you knew that was going to happen. What is it about that? What is it about getting the mean? shit beaten out of you and beating the shit out of other people? And, you know, Even if it's in context, that is such a rush. Well, it's not that. It's, it's the accomplishing of something very, very difficult. Martial arts develops your human potential. When you get through something... Really 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 difficult and there is nothing more difficult outside of war than agreeing to step into uh, a closed area with another guy who's a fucking trained killer and you're going to impose your skills on his you're going to impose your dedication on his you're going to impose your willpower your your mental fortitude your ability to uh, assess a situation and make the correct decisions in a split second moment isn't this interesting this is exactly
0: it's exactly how you do comedy
1: (laughs) i don't think about it
0: if you think about how you do comedy that is the ring it's just not you and another opponent it's not you and one guy it's you and the audience there's your ring i've seen you fucking Hmm. attack i've seen your focus there's not a whole lot of things that you know you think things through you're going for the jugular. you take on that audience right
1: boy i don't know i don't think about it that way you know i really it just like
0: if you were just
1: explaining to me your comedic style it would make perfect sense that's funny I don't see. <laughs> you it. never and thought obviously that. Obviously, it's me. No, no. When I think, I think of it as how am I going to get these bits through as effectively as possible. It's, what, just, it's the same thing. It's just interesting to me that you're a single guy in the ring of the stage, and that you were thinking the same way. But I never think about it as like a competition with the audience, or somehow or another, I'm trying to beat them. I, all I think about it is trying I've seen,
0: to. I've seen you beat an audience, pretty hard.
1: Only if it was a heckler. I mean, uh, maybe uh, that. You but know? I just think that when you have a free
0: thinking sensibility, which you do, and which I do, you know, even though you. you you know I don't do it quite the way you do it but I have done closer to the the style that you do which is you know aggressive and 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 you know pushing things into people's brains right. that you may not be thinking them as a, as an opponent per se but not unlike you know, kickboxing or martial arts, you respect them for their position, right. but you're still trying to get to conquer.
1: Through. Yeah, you're trying to conquer them. I've seen that with you. I've seen you, um, maybe uh, raise your voice in an unnatural way and really focus on something because you want to like tell the audience. Like, and I know as a comic, yeah. you're like this is what I'm saying. Yeah. Here it is. Yeah. And all of a sudden they go, oh, okay. Yeah. That's and not then, a funny tone. Yeah. I guess we ought to listen differently. And then, boom, and then you say the joke. Yeah. And then you go into the material, and then it almost, it's like a, you know, it's the, the dance of the rhythm that we do when we're sure. on stage. But that.
0: sometimes it feels like, it, it almost feels like a parental role. You know, sort of like, can we focus a little <laughs> bit here? and People are drunk and you're not. That often
1: is the case, right?
0: But the idea, though, like still, I, because I, I know you do a lot of work with, um, The, what is it, Ultimate Fighting or Extreme Fighting? Yeah, I'm I'm sorry. I don't. It's all the same uh, thing. I I don't. uh, I'm not geared towards watching any sort of competitive thing. Mm -hmm. Nothing at all? Nothing? I don't. uh, You know, but like, okay, help me out. All right, so you're saying that martial arts, it it has, it's a discipline that, that is not only. About concentration and about uh, uh, physical prowess. It's about spirituality. It's about uh, a philosophy of life.
1: Well, it's also about dealing with the reality of our biology. You know, we have the same bodies that people had 10,000 years ago. when You had to fucking throw spears at woolly mammoths. You know, I mean, this is the reality of the situation. Mm -hmm. And there's a certain amount of stress and a certain amount of uh, distortion that comes from from your biology, just from nerves and from this, just a buildup of energy that cortisol, doesn't get released. adrenaline, everything, all the above. fight and flight, that, yeah. and just the fact that our reality is sitting down all day in in. Tra- I mean, why do you think so many people have fucking road rage? I mean, there's there's some sort of unused energy, you know. Well, I, well I think
0: that you know there are also, there's also the pressures of, of modern life, personal frustration, mm-hmm. maybe some mental imbalance. I mean, yeah. I don't think it's all, all the above. as simple. As as biology, no, necessary. the biology
1: is an element. I'm definitely yeah, I'm not saying it's simple, but of I'm course. saying that it is an element that you yeah. can control. Yeah, that element by calming the biology, by really by working out. You don't even have to do martial, but to hit a bag is the best form of like just releasing stress. I mean, it's amazing how much clearer you can see things. Oftentimes, like I have. Something's bothering me, or there's a decision I have to make, or you know I'm teetering one way or another. I'll just have a really hard workout and then sit down. And it's like, okay, now I'm completely uninfluenced by my body. Now my body is completely relaxed, and all those other factors are just more manageable.
0: Yeah, see, I tend to use all of that energy and just fuel it into rage and self-assessment. <laughs> and then I, that's how I make my magic.
1: Well, I'm a big fan of self-assessment. That's... But, I
0: mean, you don't have any fear or anger in your spirit?
1: I don't know what that means, you know. What, what do you mean? Your anger in your spirit, is pretty vague. Is it? But yeah. Well, I mean, you're talking about your spirit is a what does that even mean,
0: you know? Well, I I'm, I'm talking about the thing on top of your biology, the outside of all this, you know, thrust of of what you're seeing as the history of mankind and our genetics, you know, propelling us forward and our reactions being you know, evolved and animal-like and similar to what we were 10,000 years ago. Mm -hmm. I mean, you still come from what you come from. You still do what you do. You know, you fight, you do comedy, you think about shit. And I know as a comic that a lot of what I do up there is fueled by a certain rage. That's what I'm asking you. Outside of the biology of it, do you experience fear or do you experience anger?
1: Of course. You know, I mean, how could you not as a human being, depending on what situations arise in your life? But none of
0: that fuels your creativity?
1: Well, I try not to let it overcome me. You know, whether or not it fuels your creativity, I try to keep as balanced as possible. I try to to look at things. Has as... it overcome you before? I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure it has. I'm sure all You've of You've lost has. your shit on stage in life. Yeah, Anywhere. everybody has. Okay. I mean, how could you? If you're a human being, if you haven't, then you're not experiencing something that is beyond your level of comfort. You no, know? No, I
0: know, but I'm just trying to picture you as the, you know, in moments as being the the angry asshole that I thought you were.
1: Well, I definitely am not who I am at 43 who I was at 21. I'm not. What do you think the big differences are? Everything. You know? Yeah. i just being older, more experienced, thinking about things, and correcting mistakes, and just just evolving. And then psychedelic experiences, isolation tanks, a lot of meditation. I haven't done. Of, I
0: did an isolation tank once when I was in uh, high school. Really? After I saw Altered States. Yeah, me too. There was a guy. They, in Albuquerque, New Mexico, who had two tanks, and we had read about it. And me and my buddy got wasted, and we went over to this hippie's apartment, his house, where he had the tank. And we paid him money, and we both got into different tanks. And I, I have one there. in my basement. I hear this. I, like I don't listen to your show, a lot, but I know you have one. Someone well, told me that.
1: You, next time, if you get a chance to do my podcast, you come over to my house early. You go in the, the tank for a couple hours, and then but, do the podcast. But will I, you know, transform into primordial man and <sighs> then matter and, and anti-man? Yeah, break the, into a zoo and eat a zebra.
0: The only thing that happened to me was I heard a high pitched tone in my head, and this has happened two times in you know somewhat. Uh, I don't know if they're elevated states, but the two times that I've actually you know found myself leaving my body. Or, or having some sort of out-of-body experience because of, of either drugs or the isolation tank, I hear a whistle in my brain. It's almost like a, 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 like a just like, ee- Yeah, yeah. But I never got over the hump into wherever it is that you're supposed to go oh. outside of relaxed.
1: That takes a long time. But That's... what about
0: these mistakes, dude? What do you think were the biggest, you know, when you look back, because you are, are obviously a changed man, and, and obviously things happen to do that. You know, you, you've got financial success, you're, you have your, your, your physical disposition is still intact, you're healthy, uh, you know, you're at the top of the world on some level. But, you know, at some point you weren't happy with that and something changed.
1: Well, I mean, it's just a, a gradual evolution. You know, it's just getting through life, you know, <clears throat> bombing on stage, doing well, not having good, good life experiences, having bad relationships, trying to figure out, was that me? Was it her? Was it my choices? What, what, what is it that does? But What
0: this? do you see as a self-aware person outside of evolution? What do you think were your primary problems?
1: Oh, well, it's always insecurity and anger. I mean, I think with everybody, you know, especially anybody who's really fueled. I mean, uh, I've had many of these conversations with my friends because it seems like everybody that I know that's interesting has had some sort of a fucked-up childhood. It's like almost impossible to create some exceptional person without some sort of a deficit early in their life that they're trying to make up for, you know? I mean, I I think, I don't know anybody that had like a really happy, balanced childhood that was this really fascinating person. I'm sure they're out there. I mean, I'm not discounting the possibility. No, I I understand that, you know,
0: I understand the insecurity, but there were moments in my life You know, when I think about my my relationships with women, when I think about my marriages, when I think about how isolated and angry I got at friends or how resentful I could get and things I still fight with now. I mean, I know, you know, what what some of my key areas of fucked upness are, Hmm. you know, we one of them is envy that comes from my own, you know, in my own fear, my own inability to execute what I want to do because I'm afraid of doing that. And it sort of cycles in on itself. The other comes from like, uh, you know, intimacy. If I get too close to somebody, it becomes very difficult to trust them and becomes almost impossible not to become paranoid
1: that I'm being fucked with somehow. Whoa, (laughs) that's heavy. Yeah. Wow. What do you got? <clears throat> Man, I don't think I have that. I, I definitely, uh, especially young, as I was a young person, was was very afraid of being connected to someone because uh, of my childhood, because of my parents being d- d- broken up. And my stepfather was a great guy, but the reality of my childhood was my stepfather was working all day, and my mom was working all day, and really nobody raised me.
0: What do you think was going to happen if you got connected to somebody? <sighs> they were going to
1: hurt you. you yeah. Know, break your heart, leave you, yeah. f- make you feel like shit. Yeah. Or, you know, somehow or another wrap so you're you paranoid up in too. life. <laughs> it's, it's being intelligent too, right? You can call it paranoid, but it's also the variables that you've already de- dealt with in Yeah, your life. But,
0: but also like, you know, saying that now you realize that, you know, you're going to get hurt. You know, all those things are going to happen. Yeah. You can't avoid them. You can't stop them from happening. You can't have that much control if you open your heart, right?
1: I think it's life. I, I talk about it the same way when I t- t- talk about dealing with haters online, that in a, in a one way it's good and having shitty things that happen to you in life is the same thing that it's like getting bit by a snake like if you get bit by a rattlesnake and you've never been uh, you've never have been introduced to the venom you're gonna get fucked up but if you just get a little venom in your system every now and then little you do build up an immunity to it and then after a while you sort of you can you can deal with it it doesn't it doesn't affect you the way it did when you were younger I mean I remember my first girlfriend who broke up <clears throat> broke up with me when I was in high school yeah it was fucking completely devastated what
0: did you do Oh, just did you me. stalk her? Did you cry? No, she moved
1: to another part of the state. Did so you write her really love her. letters? I don't think I did but I definitely left some really disgusting voicemails that if she, she said angry if she no 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 like pathetic oh really yeah just like weak oh, so and you sc- know we uh-huh. should be together and uh-huh. we should have children and I know I love you God, and I you should been find there. those and digitize I'm them. sure she doesn't have them anymore uh, She probably deleted it right yeah. away going what a fucking loser how did I let him fuck me <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know it's just one of the I mean especially because I think it was just graduating high school and she was uh, just <gasps> moving to another part of the state so I was didn't know what I was gonna do with my future and I, I really had no idea what I was going to do with my life and very, very scared about the future. And then all of a sudden she breaks up with me. And, yeah. You know, just fucking lost. Holy fuck. I just remembered something.
0: What? I just remembered that, that we dated the same chick. Who? Dorothea.
1: Yeah, well, sort of. I I only date. We we went on a few dates. She was really cool, though. She really nice person. I just like it.
0: Just it, I wow. Remember,
1: I didn't know that you dated her. That's crazy.
0: Briefly, yeah. But I remember that you know there was that moment where I'm like, so what? You know, comics. That's probably why you don't like me. Maybe I said, you ever date any comics? <laughs> she goes rogan i'm like you fucking date rogan you fuck rogan yeah and then there's you know but that happens that's how oh, the doll just came back to me <clears throat> that's funny i don't know i don't i don't think i had any spite over that i mean you weren't with her at the time and you must have
1: how could you not when you're young I, I always feel weird about some guy who fucked a girl that i dated yeah but
0: i got her after you so oh. like there wasn't a thing where like it wasn't right like if i was a guy before then i'd be like that guy now Oh, right, right, Yeah, right. so I, I think it's different. Right. You yeah. know, I won that one.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, uh, and, I, and I guess I got to cop to a couple of things uh, in building up to this conversation so we don't disappoint people. But before you know, we get to that, so when was the turning point where all of a sudden you decided, because I, I had a conversation with Andy Dick recently And uh, I know you did, too. Yeah. But he was talking about being on news radio and and feeling very intimidated and threatened by you and and that you had marginalized him and and that he was fuck up and everything else. And I I imagine he talked to you about that. Yeah. So
1: Andy has an incredibly distorted perception of the past and and of everything. He was uh, he was a huge fuck up when he was on the show. And the point where he halted production and he was always stoned and he couldn't read his lines. And he's crazy. I love him he's incredibly talented right. I, I, really, I love the guy but yeah. you know when he tells me you know, you're so angry at me why were you so angry you're fucking crazy you pulled your dick out in front of my girlfriend and tried to hop in our trailer you know, I mean he was nuts he was crazy and he was like you know I, I had him on the podcast he was telling me how attracted he was to me when uh-huh. we were working together uh-huh. and you know how it was such a, 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 a strain yeah. you know he's nuts you know and yeah. so when he says I was angry to him I was angry because he was a fucking pain in the ass yeah. and I'd be like dude leave me the fuck alone stop being so crazy it wasn't like I'm this angry person just looking to fuck with Andy but that's how Andy sees the world through this right. you know, egotistical point of view is that everyone is fucking with Andy right and the reason why Andy's been arrested a thousand times is because the world's fucking with Andy right you know he, do- he doesn't see it you know? yeah like I try to talk to him about he's sober now and I'm like that's fantastic like this and that. that's good you've moved on to the new stage in your life you're done with all that bullshit he goes well I wouldn't say I'm done with it yeah, you know, you're not done. with. It. I'm done with it for now.
0: No, no, he's very, yeah. you know, he doesn't want to take responsibility.
1: Yeah, he's crazy. But that's why he's so good. Oh, that man. self-indulgent thought process that he has is what allows him to be fucking hilarious in, you well, know, in, in a sitcom.
0: No, Absolutely. I, I, and I know that you have uh, you have some love for him and, and it's hard not to like the guy. It's just that, you know, when somebody doesn't take responsibility for the chaos they're causing. Uh, they become dangerous to themselves and others, and it's sad. Yeah, and and you get concerned, and and they become hard to trust because you don't know what the fuck they're going to do.
1: Well, but was... there's two
0: kinds of crazy, dude. Yeah. I mean, there's that kind of crazy, but there's also the kind of crazy that that makes you a, a hyper controlling, you know, very fucking you know heavily fortified person. You know, that's inverted crazy and outverted crazy. You know what I mean? Sure.
1: Well, yeah, that's two of many types of crazy, right? Sure. <clears throat> yeah
0: but i mean i feel that like you know i i can go both ways you know i can yeah. either explode and and be chaos or or i can be very well fortified
1: well it's- i have a real issue with obsession um, um, with games I have an issue With game obsession yeah. Because of the fact That um, as I was a child You know That the only thing That ever gave me Any real feeling Of self esteem Was accomplishing things And being good at things sure. That I, I get obsessed At being really good At things Like I, I have a real issue Like uh, like I can't play video games I used to play uh, Quake online Yeah And it, it, it absorbed me Like a junkie <laughs> like... Where I would be Fucking playing Eight ten hours a day Every day I just Did... couldn't stop Did you masturbate a lot Because it seems oh, yeah, that my, yeah. my
0: problem I Like, if I get involved with something like that, I get to a certain level and I realize, you know, I don't want to fucking take the time. This is getting too hard. I'm just going to jerk off. So I think all my competitive nature and the feeling of accomplishing (laughs) things just went into jerking off. Like, I can be done with this in 10 minutes. Yeah,
1: And I I win. I mean, we're all all going to win that way. (laughs) Hopefully. That's the saddest thing when you can't win there. You know, and I've been there before, too. I've definitely been obsessed with beating off in the past you know, sure. I've uh, yeah. I got to the point when I was in my early twenties where I would jerk off and get blisters on my dick from jerking yeah. off. Yeah, and I would just find another way to hold my dick. Yeah, yeah, you know, just yeah. fucking pathetic. And I be sitting there. I'd, yeah, my dick would hurt in my underwear. i would be like, what is wrong with me? Yeah.
0: When I found lotion and then later spit, <laughs> I was like, this is genius. Why didn't anyone tell me that I didn't have to just rub uh, the fuck out of myself dry? It's a, it's a weird thing, man. but that was a big transition from uh, mm. from uh, you know dry to lube and then to you know sort of level off with spit. Now, I guess the transition I'm trying to make here is when did you become this, you know, kind of dry and brittle controlling dude into like the dude who tries drugs?
1: Um, well, it was a slow progress and a lot of it had to do with, you know, just understanding myself more from martial arts, understanding myself, understanding life more from reading things and watching documentaries and just thinking about life and... Then when I was, uh, I really didn't do any drugs at all until I was thirty. And when I was thirty, I, I'd always thought of drugs as for losers. I was thought of my friend, uh, my friend's cousin who did, you know, so coke, who fucked his life up. Those were the people the guys who died. My, and yeah, my so my thirty. Buddy Johnny. That
0: means you're what you're you're past news radio. <clears throat> yeah, you're it, done. Yeah, you've made your fortune on some level. Are you doing Fear Factor yet?
1: Not yet. I. It was right before I did Fear Factor. It's probably one of the reasons why I decided to do Fear Factor. <laughs> that, you know, and that, that and money. That money. But there's okay. no money in it. For First, at first, it was just something funny to do. I thought it was hilarious. I thought it was the most ridiculous show ever. Like when I, they first brought me into this office and they told me they're going to have this show where they're going to sick dogs on people. I remember like almost feeling like I was being punked. I was like, "This is going to be on NBC." Right. You're so gonna...
0: your your angle on it was that it sounded fun and trippy. It sounded like
1: chaos. It wasn't that way when I got into it. I mean, sometimes it was, but it was definitely much more watered down than I thought it was going to be.
0: Well, I, I, we can talk about that in a minute. So, okay, so before you go do Fear Factor, you're, you're a guy that, like, is afraid of drugs, basically. Yeah. Because you've seen it ruin a lot of people, and and you saw your body as a different situation. So what did you start with? And Two how, things.
1: One, I got drunk once, and uh, I did ecstasy uh, with a, a bunch of friends in, in Dallas. Yeah. <clears throat> a buddy of mine lived there. In, yeah. Uh, he was really into, you know, partying, and you know, he convinced me that it was a, a good thing to try, and it's not going to hurt you, it's not addictive. So I tried ecstasy, and I, I remember, um, it's it. First of all, the the feeling that you get, like God, why can't people be like this all the time? Sure, like that's, this, this. That's what
0: all drug people say.
1: Well, yeah, right. <laughs> but but ecstasy in particular is a uh-huh. very friendly and a loving, and, and you know, it's just a really warm drug it's a it's a weird feeling when you know you'll i like uh, i was did it with a bunch of buddies and we were fucking holding hands like mm. guys mm-hmm. holding hands together naked or no well okay. closed but mm-hmm. it was like this weird thing like it's like why why would i be insecure about this uh, and in any other time right. we I should would, don't do this all the time it's, why it's, are we doing it seems it all the time? so strange <laughs> it's like you you realize how much uh you know how, how much insecurity like really uh, defines your behavior how much, how much fear yeah fear sure. and and that if we were assured that everyone thought and felt the same way and then we were all like really kind to each other and then you realize this is just like a, a simple change of the neurochemistry of your mind like sure just a, it's it's
0: fear and yeah. social acceptance and yeah. what what has been uh, culturally acceptable and how you want to be seen
1: yeah so that was a real I would never do it again because I felt like shit the next day Yeah, like, I got
0: in under the wire on that I tried it right when it came out it must have been yeah, it was probably earlier than you but I remember I just twirled around a pole with my hand on the pole for like half hour and it felt awesome right? oh yeah yeah, because I, yeah, I could feel all of the pole and I became part of the <laughs> pole and I was loose
1: well, I the, uh, the next day I couldn't read. I went to uh, a, a coffee shop and I, I, I got a magazine. I was trying to read some article and I couldn't fucking read. Like I couldn't f- concentrate on the sentence. So that
0: that must have been scary.
1: Terrible. Yeah, I just yeah. realized uh, how bad this is for your but brain. I like, you think for a minute that you're like, is it going to come back? Or? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I thought yeah. maybe I fucked my brain up for life. Like I was talking to people, it seemed normal. Yeah, yeah, like they didn't know that I was fucked up. Hey, can I get a small coffee? Thank you. What and- did
0: people who knew you say about you when they saw you high like that?
1: Well, the my friend who uh, who turned me on to it was, you know, he was sort of like, "See, I told you, man, it's gonna be a man." But then I was like, "God, this is fucking terrible for your brain, dude. I, I feel like shit." Then they day. say it
0: drained your spinal fluid or something. Did <sighs> didn't you, know that? Was, you didn't do the research? I think on it. it's a
1: dopamine issue. I think yeah. you, you, you know, there's a thing called 5-HTP that you're supposed yeah. to take afterwards to yeah. re, re-up your serotonin oh, okay. levels and yeah. shit. Yeah. Yeah. What what happens is, you know, you just, you, post, you just set
0: of, it's post self-medication medication. Like you, you know, yeah. you're gonna get okay yeah. to charge yourself back sure, up to. Sure. Normal
1: levels But uh, you know So I decided I would never do that again But I also also decided That I learned a lot From that I learned a lot From that experience And then uh, There's a guy That I did jujitsu with My friend Eddie yeah. Who uh, is a musician And right. he's really In a smoking pot And uh, you know And he was always like No oh, I don't even think About writing music Unless I get high Like it really like Tunes me into the music I'm like right. really It's like It just makes you Fucking lazy and he's like, When's the last time you got high? I'm like, man, it's been a long, long time. And it was, I had always tried it. I tried it a few times, you know, maybe f- a handful over the course of my life. And it was always, I had a couple of beers or something. Right. And people are passing around a joint. Yeah. I said, okay. And I took mm-hmm. a hit. And I was probably already drunk, so I don't even know what mm-hmm. the effects were. So, the, you know, I... I listened to him, and he was a really, he's a bright, creative guy, and I, I, he seemed so together in all these other ways, and I was like, well, how could it possibly be that this is, this guy's telling me that marijuana actually aids him? Yeah. So he got me high, and then, uh, I, I realized it, and I was like, wow, this is, this is incredible, this is not what I thought it was at all, this is a... This, this is a different thing. It's it relaxed part of your brain. Relaxed part of your brain. That and was, uh, makes you very insecure. It makes you uh, not insecure. I shouldn't say. It makes you very hyper aware and yeah. sensitive. And vulnerable. Vulnerable. Yeah. yeah. Vulnerable is the word. Wide open. Yeah, and it and and it allows you to evolve much faster. I think. socially. Evolve. Evolve your your consciousness, evolve the way you feel about things. It makes you more self-aware. It makes you, because it makes you more vulnerable, it makes you kind of assess things more and uh, on a a quicker pace, I think. So maybe
0: you weren't so, you know, defensive or guarded.
1: Yeah, and and just, you know, makes you realize we're all in this fucking crazy thing, whatever it is, together.
0: Yeah, if you're not looking at somebody going, are they looking at me?
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They know mine. Yeah, they know mine. Yeah, I know.
0: yeah oh God, uh, is my head the right shape? Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, all right, so so then you, you sort of made it uh, your lifestyle now, right? I mean, yeah, you're, well, you're, you're sort of built around pot at this point, or at sort least of. cannabis I mean, products.
1: I think it's also important that when you learn something, you tell other people that are listening to you. And, uh, you know, I don't tell people you should all do pot. You know, I mean, everybody's got their own different weird biochemistry, and some people doesn't jive with, and some people they just can't do anything. I have a friend who says he would love to do pot, but he knows that if he smokes a joint, he'll uh, he'll go and buy coke, and next thing you know, he'll wake up oh, yeah, three days yeah, later. Right, I and mean, right. that's just how he is. He but knows. do you think
0: you could have gotten to that place? Because it seems to me that what you're talking about in terms of vulnerability and 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 uh, and and part of your sort of uh, your wiring, your defensive wiring relaxes. I mean, you can do that without pot. Yeah. I mean, do you feel that you are capable of doing that when you're not high?
1: Yeah, sure, absolutely. But um, I I definitely think I was evolving without it, you know? But I think uh, that the added element of... I don't know. I don't know how I would describe it, but the, the, just the ability to tune into another state of consciousness and sort of assess yourself more objectively than you can uh, just w- while you're always protected by your ego and sort of your your predetermined patterns of behavior and looking at life. You know, the the the, the path that we get on, the track that you on, as far as like how you react to things uh, on a normal basis, it sort of becomes ingrained in in your thinking. Well, yeah, well, you were you
0: were pretty sort of you know uh, kind of like. Uh, like, ambitious, well-guarded, you know, controlling dude. Yeah. And you were able to sort of soften up a little bit.
1: Well, you know, yeah, oh, just able also to just see everything just a little better, you know?
0: Yeah, I like the way you sort of, like, you. Know, you there's no distinction between personal evolution and and some broader sense of, of the animal evolving. That yeah. you seem to have educated yourself to a degree that you're able to frame any personal evolution along the lines of perfecting the being that I am.
1: It's not even perfecting the being; it's getting over the being, getting right. over the being, and relaxing, getting sure. over what the being is trying to do. You know, just biologically, just socially, just
0: and and that changed your entire perception of everything. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and you were able to be more magnanimous and empathetic and connected to other people. Definitely
1: more friendly. More more loving, more, Yes, you know, so just... You you're know. married, right? Yeah. And you got yeah. two
0: kids? Yeah. And you like them?
1: I have a stepdaughter, too. He's and 13, a stepdaughter? 14. So you
0: got three? Yeah. And you like them? Love them. And yeah, you get awesome. along, everybody gets along? Yeah. Daddy has some tank time, and you yeah. come out of the tank. Yeah, it and a lot. You wash the salt off you, and yeah. you know, okay, I'm ready for dinner.
1: <laughs> no, it's mostly when everyone's asleep.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah? You, yeah. You
1: don't sleep? I sleep, I do, but I, I, different hours. I, I can't write unless everyone's asleep everyone now, goes to bed fairly early
0: the shift in your comedy you know if, if i'm gonna you know cop to you know whatever issues i have with you that i, I refuse to accept are, are based in my uh completely in my uh my jealousy or intimidation about your uh, your, uh, your 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 sports uh background or the fact that we shared a, a a woman briefly um that there was a point where you got a job on a network television show you were on the show for six years seven years six? five years five years five years you made a killing, and it was good. It's a good show. It's great. You to played. Do. You played a guy that was very not you. Uh, you played sort of a thick dude, not 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 that bright. Correct. Yeah, yeah. And and then you started doing comedy again. You you you. I don't I don't remember you doing a lot of comedy during news radio. Am I
1: wrong? No, I did comedy. Um, I did have um a, a big lapse though when I was on news radio. I wasn't writing any. And it's one of the reasons why I, I kind of like re re energized my uh, my comedy my my uh, ambition to do comedy is when i was doing news radio i wasn't writing any jokes i was performing i'd do like a set on the weekend at the laugh stop or at the laugh factory and one at the comedy store but i wasn't writing any new material I was but you were not this was
0: pre-enlightenment joe yeah yeah and then like in my mind because like honestly you know when you when you said today we've never had a convers- uh, conversation so i was really assessing you as a cultural um icon That, you know, I knew you when he started, you know, I saw where your career went, but before, because we never saw each other really, except once in a while, you were the guy that I knew who started as a comic, then did the sitcom for six six years, and then did Fear Factor for how long? Five years. Five five years. years.
1: Six years, Fear Factor.
0: And then what happened in my mind is that, you know, you come out of Fear Factor and then you're sort of, you know, this enlightened comic, you know, who is, you know, pursuing the truth. Uh, you know, and an aggressive in spirit and I'll use that word spirit again and following the path of rebellious comics who were who were uh, seeking to enlighten people uh, and 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 taking a higher road intellectually than than your career had implied previous yeah, right yeah sure and and there was part of me, that thought, if you know, I don't. You know, I know you don't want to talk about this, and we and we don't need to talk about it. But in 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 light of the Mencia thing, before I knew the full facts, and before I talked to you, and and after I talked to Carlos, in, in, in knowing it, that there was part of me that thought, th- this is was the fundamental problem, and I've been public about it a little bit before. Is that in my mind, I didn't quite understand how somebody you know who is a, who is uh, doing a comedy that he insists has integrity. Could, could really, you know, work on a show like Fear Factor for as long as you did, which in my mind, you know, ushered in the, 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 the whole, the, uh, the, the takeover of reality television, which, you know, in a sense, you know, put more comics out of work who were writers because, you know, sitcoms cost too much. So in my mind, on some sort of level, that be, your television career, you know, not news radio particularly, but Fear Factor was, was antithetical to, you know, what, who you are now. And that I thought it was—it was hard for me to accept that you were able to stand in a position of judgment of of what comedy is or isn't, you know, having done Fear Factor and the impact it had on the comedy business and television.
1: That's an interesting angle, and uh, I gotta think that 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 angle's gotta be coming from some weird animosity that you might have had to me already before this because first of all i mean how many sitcom writers are really comics it's very few well they and all how many people mo- a lot on- of them
0: started as comics i'm just saying in comedy uh-huh. in general who, who you can't but who you can't comics? say
1: that it's that's a- taking away jobs because it's an economic issue and if i wasn't hosting it someone else would have hosted it. and the real issue was there's a lot of shitty fucking sitcoms there was sex in the city and there was fucking the single guy and all these terrible this is when i was on nbc these terrible terrible sitcoms and they weren't they weren't getting good ratings. And all of a sudden, you'd put something like Survivor on, which was far cheaper to do, and economically, it was way better for the networks. And they, they made a lot of money because they got great ratings. All right, so th- so I so I did the show. Uh, I did the pilot, or whatever the fuck we did. I, I think, actually, I had signed up for, like, eight or nine episodes, clearly thinking this was going to be a, a eight or nine episodes just get some money and move on to something else I was uh, I had a development deal before that I was trying to write a sitcom on my own and I just got hooked what up. was that about uh, I think it was just about uh, I, I was really into playing pool at the time and I was trying to um, uh, make some sort of a sitcom like a cheer sort of a thing about mm-hmm. a pool hall with a bunch of people that were regulars that hung out in this mm-hmm. place all the time and, uh, that didn't work out, and so then the Fear Factor thing came up, and it was just it was you know it was a real random sort of a thing. I get a call from my agent, NBC wants you to do this game show. They're really interested. Would you go and meet with them? I went and met with them, and I thought it was really funny, and the people were really fun, like that you know Matt Kunitz and the producers. They were nice guys. Yeah, and they were. We were all laughing about stuff, and I said yeah. it'd be cool to work with these guys. She yeah, well, fuck it, let's do this crazy game show. Right, didn't know what it was going to be, you know, and then you know as got, it got it was so it was great financially and f- sometimes it was fun to do and the people that i did it with were a lot of fun but there was a lot of times where i didn't enjoy it at all you know and it re- a lot of times were really really felt like work you know which is you know like you can't complain because you know there's people that have real jobs that, that, but on
0: a business that, level i mean you know you know jeff zucker the head of nbc loved you mm-hmm. and and you were doing something
1: for his vision of the network that was working fear factor was yeah i mean it was uh he, I mean altogether I had something to do with it but it w- if it wasn't me it would have been someone else would have no, I understand that I, I just I,
0: I'm just trying to figure out you know in terms of, of where your heart is now integrity you mean well I mean it's not even just integrity' I'm not, I'm not going to be that broad about it you know I mean I stated my, my intellectual argument but obviously on uh, from where you're sitting you know a job's a job it was presented to you in a certain way you had no idea it was going to become a cultural phenomenon that would eventually you know really be about you know getting you know people to to eat balls. You know, and you know, it was it was as close to that you know, that TV show in RoboCop. You know, I'd do that for a, I'd buy that for a dollar. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was as close to as moronic
1: as you can get in television. And while I was doing it, I was making fun of it. I mean, no, I know, on I know, but but
0: still, like, and, and that must have you know at least released some of this team because I have to assume, being the type of person you are and being in on the path you were at, I know you were making millions of dollars, but there had to be something that was sticking in your craw. I mean, it had to hurt somewhere. It didn't feel good. Yeah, no, I didn't. Because enjoy it. my question is, is that if you, if Bill Hicks were alive, who was a you know a hero of yours, how would he have said? What do you think he would have said about Fear Factor as a reality?
1: Oh, he, I'm sure he would have made fun of it. As I would if I wasn't of on it. If right. I wasn't on it, I would have made fun of it for right. sure. But you know, there's something that you can't really under financial freedom, like real true financial freedom, is a really underappreciated thing. Absolutely, the and there's never a, and worry. There is a price for it. So, yeah, but the price was a few years of work, and while I was doing that work, I was only working three days a week, and I was still able to do stand-up and do a bunch of other things, and I did stand-up while I was on Fear Factor, and it was it was kind of uh, screwy, though, because a lot of the people would come expecting to see the guy from Fear Factor, you know, expecting to see, like, you know, Squeaky Clean. Well, that, well, that was, you know, that was the burden of your Faustian bargain. Yeah, and I'm um, doing drugs about the mid- and jokes about drugs in the Middle East and all this crazy shit and evolution, and, you know, it's... It was, it was a weird transition, but in the end it all sorted itself out, you know,
0: because well, I mean that, but that exactly what you're saying is that, right. Yeah. I mean, obviously the, the, you know, financial freedom in a real sense to where you or your family does not have to worry for the rest of your lives and maybe even into your kid's life, you know, however responsible those kids turn out to be, you know, is certainly something that people strive for and, and it is, uh, an, it is freedom in, in a capitalist system and there's no doubt about that. I understand yeah. that. but that is also the very essence of of you know the Faustian deal of selling out that you know you get that, but you know in the aftermath of that, you're gonna have to wrestle with what you seem to have wrestled with, which is that you know, I know I did that. But I'm not that guy, and that that guy, you know, that did that was just doing that for money. Now I'm this guy.
1: I think I'm the same guy. I think you just, you, as long as you're saying while you're doing it that you're doing it for money, and just keep pushing forward. There's certainly a price you pay as far as perception goes. Do you feel? Do you feel like you contributed to the dumbing down of the culture? No, no, really, no, no, no Why doubt not? about it. It would have dumbed down without me. There's no But, is it, but isn't it. that a cop out in a way? No. It's, it's, the, the show was hot dogs. Are hot dogs bad for you? Yeah, well, sort of. You nope. shouldn't eat them every day, all day. But, I'm, but I'm sometimes so- I want a steak, and sometimes I want a fucking hot dog. And sometimes I come home from a hard day at work, I want to watch some fuckheads eat animal dicks on TV. You know, why is that bad? It is what it is You
0: tell me Why is that bad I don't think it is I don't don't think think it is I think it's it's a choice
1: I think it's a choice In a broad spectrum of choices And you can choose to You know Watch the Discovery Channel On some new fucking show On Hypernovas Or you can choose to watch Fear Factor It's up to you Right You know But what it is Is mindless entertainment Yeah but what do you But in general No different from that Than a sitcom That's mindless entertainment too It's just fun Sometimes
0: But I mean But I mean in sense that You know As somebody who Who is uh, uh, A critic of culture And somebody who is enlightened What do you think of those people that choose to watch fear factor over and over again
1: well you know I watched it too and I also watched survivor yeah but I I watched survivor I wasn't in that I've watched a lot of dumb shows that I'm not in I think you could definitely say that shows like that and anything that's broadcast in front of millions and millions of people is going to contribute to the way they think about things and if you show dumb shit on TV and you lower the standards you're you're definitely gonna get dumb people right that doesn't necessarily mean they have to be that they could also Tune into different channels. They could also read books. There's a wide variety of choices that you could do with your life. You know, sure. you don't necessarily ha- watch Fear Factor and become dumb. I know a lot of smart people that used to watch Fear Factor and thought it was ridiculous. Right. And they enjoyed it. Well, they were watching it for the wrong reason. They were the right reason for them. <laughs> Look, I'm not discounting in any way, shape, or form the idea that doing a show like that is quote unquote selling out in an artistic way but I never stopped doing what I was doing on this on the side I never stopped doing comedy I ne- never stopped writing I never stopped performing so the way I looked at it was just an opportunity to make a shitload of money and it made it an uncomfortable situation where there was this weird sort of a you know there's two different perceptions of me you know what I was doing on stage and what I was doing on the television show so there's a there's a price yeah I mean I would I do it again I think I would, you know, for for two reasons. One also because I think with a lot of comics um A lot of comics take themselves very seriously. You know, they take their ideas and their 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 what they're projecting very seriously. You take yourself pretty seriously. Yeah, nothing takes takes you out of that more than being the fucking host of Fear Factor. You know, no matter what you say, no matter you know, you're never gonna start a cult. But but what I I I understand (laughs) that. But you, you know,
0: and and that might be detrimental to your cult. And and I know a lot of people would say, you know, there was a time where where the idea of selling out uh, you know, had more resonance that, that now it seems that people are like, Hey man, you you know, do what you got to do. If you can keep your personality, you know, it's cool. You know, do whatever commercial you want, as long as you rise above the commercial. But I guess my big question, and he seemed to address it a bit, is that being somebody who is as, as like, you know, passionately involved with the evolution of, of the, the human community, Uh, You know, and and the idea that, you know, we are all operating on a series of wavelengths and and share a lot of common possibilities for growth and and really taking this thing to the next level that and that is where your comedy comes from. It's it's calling out morons and and being proactive about what our biology enables us to do that you couldn't have carried that. It it must have been a,
1: a fairly weighty cross to bear. Um, it definitely was uh, at, at many points in time, yeah. Especially uh, you know the the, the days where it just, I thought it was really stupid. Like the, there was days where the stunts were really just dumb, and the people, and especially the people. If the the group was cool, like it was a crapshoot every week. Like you know you get eight new people or whatever it was, depending on the show. Six new people sometimes. Sometimes they were really cool, and sometimes they were just insufferably douchey. They're just impossibly douchey. But did it go
0: on too long? Was there po-
1: points where all you could think about? Oh, yeah. was the payday, and that, like, it was all going to be worth it. Well, what happened was I started smoking pot, like, right before I started doing it. So, had you gotten the The deal? first season. Yeah, yeah. The first season, I did sober. The first season is Fear Factor. The second through sixth season, Every single episode, I was high as fuck. Every single episode, I would have a pot lollipop and uh, sit in my trailer and wait for us to do it and then go do it. And I would be, would be much easier to do. I'd be fascinated. Then I would look at it like, you know, like, how, how weird is this fucking show? How crazy is this? Is this real? You know, right. It, was, that it became sort of a, a, a fun thing to do. And what's the difference between that and, and, and getting
0: high to get through your job?
1: There's no difference. Okay. That is what it is. Right. I mean, well, it was that too, but it was also um, when I'm high, uh, if I was working on Fear Factor, that's when I would come up with a lot of great ideas for bits. Right. You know? But
0: was there a part of it that was sort of like, you know, I've got a conscience about this. In what way? In that, like, I don't want to fucking be doing this. This there is was... fucking breaking my heart. No, I need to get high to it fucking was... keep my heart open so I don't...
1: Destroy myself inside no no. I never took it that seriously. I, I think it was more like fuck. This is dumb I don't want to do this because I don't really want to be here right now I'd rather be you know hanging out with my friends or doing whatever Playing this or doing writing that. bits about people yeah. who watch fear Factor. <laughs> or do fear. Factor. Yeah, um <laughs> Yeah, writing bits about me if I wasn't me for sure. Uh, I think it was you know just it was I just didn't enjoy it sometimes. Sometimes I did though. Sometimes it was fun. You know? So
0: five so four or five years of that, you know, you you had to self
1: medicate to get through your job. Well, I started self medicating after the first year. I, I did once. What happened was I I showed up. I got high during the afternoon with a buddy of mine. We had like a late night yeah. uh, shoot, yeah. and I showed up and I was still high. And I had a fucking great time. And I was like, wow, why don't I do this all the time? Like I would really enjoy this show if I was high all the time. So, I think like maybe 90% of the time I did it, I was stoned.
0: Mm. So, now let's
1: talk about the,
0: uh, the other you know, thing that you seem to be sort of uh, obsessively, uh, you know, like you did, now, what's your daily routine now, uh, exercise wise?
1: It all depends. Um, I'm, you know, most of the time I'm doing jujitsu, probably three or four nights a week, and then uh, I lift weights maybe one day a week. But it's more to kind of uh, keep from getting injured and, you know. Stuff What's like your that.
0: supplement regimen?
1: A lot of fish oil. I take ridiculous amounts of that stuff. I take almost every sort of multivitamin or, or type of vitamin I take. I'll show you what like I'm B taking. Compl- okay. My
0: dad's into it. Yeah? Yeah. And uh, I've been on some stuff for the head. And and you probably know about it. You probably know more about it than I do.
1: What about um, uh, creatine, steroids, human growth hormone? I don't take creatine. I take human growth hormone. I take uh, testosterone in a cream form. I take. I go to what's called a hormone replacement therapist, a a doctor. Do you need more testosterone, Joe? It's not a a matter of need. It's a matter of uh, maintaining your body to to state where it is as a young person, where you can recover quicker from things.
0: It's not. It's not about juice.
1: It's not about juice. It's it's very, very low doses. If you do it correctly. Yeah. And what does yeah. human growth hormone do? What it does is replaces all the 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 stuff that starts to go away as you get older. Right. You know, I mean, what you're doing as you're getting older is your you know your hair turns gray and your body aches more as your body's not producing as much hormones. Are you afraid of dying? No, I just like my body to work well. Okay. I, I mean, I think you know that people say, "Well, hey man, you are worried about what that's going to do to you?" Yeah, you can think about it that way. I definitely do. That's, that is a concern. But is you know what else is a concern? Your body breaking down and you dying, which is absolutely definitely going to happen.
0: Now, I so, when I saw you recently, you know, I, I hadn't seen you in a while, and I saw you at the UCB, and I definitely felt that there's something like different about. Now, does human growth hormone do something to your head? <laughs> to your... <laughs>
1: Did your head get bigger? No. All right. No. I mean, your head gets bigger as you get older, okay. depending on what nationality. <laughs> My head's you are. very big. I mean, I, but, uh, you look know. at fucking Val Kilmer. Yeah, on all I, the growth I, in the world, his head's enormous.
0: I know, but he's also, I think, a distended yeah. alcoholic guy. So his body's yeah. sort of shriveled, and he's probably got that weird belly and his head.
1: I big. was talking to a buddy of mine about that who got really fat, and he uh, lost weight, but he doesn't want to lose too much weight because he said his head grew when he got fat
0: yeah you know and
1: yeah. he was he's, he's just crazy he's like I don't want to be one of those skinny guys with a big giant fat person's <laughs> yeah, head yeah. but uh, if you lift weights you know if you lift a lot of weights especially I, I got into like really heavy weight lifting a few years back like back in uh, you were roided up early... for a while weren't you no, no no never no 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 never. the could. only stuff that I'd ever taken the, the stuff that was like uh, anabolic was yeah. actually legal stuff oh yeah the stuff you used to be able to buy at GNC. The strongest stuff I ever took about. Well, and I that.
0: guess, like, you, I mean, I remember you were kind of like, um, yeah, and when you do the weight
1: thing, if you don't do it right, it can really fuck you. You can definitely get too big in certain ways. You can unbalance your body. I did creatine for a while. Creatine makes you gain a lot of water weight, too, and it makes you puffy a yeah. little bit, you know?
0: Yeah, and so you what, you generally do
1: kind of flexibility stuff, too? I do a lot of that. I, do, I still do a lot of a kickboxing workout. Like, yeah. I have a, a bag set up in my garage and it's padded out there. And so I, I work out doing that too. And sometimes I work out with uh, kickboxing trainers.
0: Now I get the sense that, you know, when you do the, it's ultimate fighting, right? I already asked mm-hmm. you. Yeah. That, you know, for some reason, when I hear, like, I don't watch it, but every once in a while I'll, I'll pass it and I'll watch you and, and, and I'll see you, you know, doing the play by play. And, like, it seems to me that you fucking love that. That you, like, it seems to me like there's some part of me when
1: I see you doing that, like, I'm like, that that's got to make Joe happy. It's a lot of fun. Uh, <laughs> I enjoy it. You know, it's definitely not like doing Fear Factor. You know, what I'm doing now between doing um, the UFC and doing stand-up comedy, like everything I do is fun. I, I enjoy all of it. You know, so noth- nothing feels like work, which to me is a, a much better existence than and, when I was doing Fear Factor.
0: And do you feel like you you have exercised that part of your conscience that was compromised doing Fear Factor? I mean, do you feel like the journey? <sighs> from that guy and the judgments around that guy, like the judgments that I had, which may be only me, and and you know, and certainly you know, I'm talking to you and I'm being honest with you, do you feel like you were able to, to, to move beyond that with your audiences?
1: I think I moved beyond it um, when I stopped doing it, and then slowly the audience from Fear Factor kind of disappeared and the audience from stand-up, my, my stand-up audience, increased a lot more. How long did that take? Took I think when my first uh, good CD was released I think that had a big impact. My first CD that I really feel like represented me, which was like two thousand six. That mm-hmm. was uh, Shiny Happy Jihad, mm-hmm. and that was the first one that I ever did where I went, "Wow, I just put out a CD." It really was like me being on stage, you know. Whereas all the other ones, it was like you know, I was like uh, awkward or my comedy wasn't ready or whatever it was. You know so that that helped a lot so then I started developing fans from just from my stand-up and then I did the Showtime special in 2006 as well and then uh, my last one which was 2009 that that really that started you know and then I got fans from comedy
0: that's great you know it took you a while to come on this show because you were you know mad at me on some level for talking to Carlos uh, you know, without
1: no, no not not well, at all. Okay,
0: not mad. But I was like... mad at
1: you for what you said about me. That you said it was two bullies arguing over bullshit, and that um, you said that you thought that the whole situation should have been handled by the community, right? And that it shouldn't have been aired publicly, which I thought was ridiculous because you had him on your show for two fucking hours and you exposed well, him because the first hour I couldn't use. You, you exposed him way more than I ever did in the ten minutes of that show. No, that those, my those show videos. did not
0: get around as much as that video. You really think so? Oh, not
1: not a chance. I you mean, think that, as far as okay, as far as volume of humans that saw it, maybe. But no, as far but as that, like in depth exposure right, of the human but, but being, let me
0: tell you something. That's, uh, the one thing that happened because of that, and the one thing I'll admit in in retrospect is that you know I'm not sure you're not you know in that situation both you know were kind of buttonheads and I didn't have an uh uh an idea of your personal history with him and also I hadn't been in that world I don't you know I don't live in the world of the comedy store and I hadn't been so my knowledge and the reason why I did that second episode was specifically was because I could not post the episode that I did initially because I didn't know what was really going on and in retrospect it, and what I said about you I felt was true and in, in what I watched and then you and I exchanged some emails and I understand that You know the the problem was a lot bigger than it It uh, than what I knew and that the community had tried to deal with him But I think what happened on that second episode is despite whatever you think of that guy There was no way you couldn't
1: see him as a person. Well. I saw him as a person from the beginning Yeah, I mean the I was friends with him. I was friends with him when I first moved to California you know, I what I knew of him was that he had some sort of a pathology. That's yeah. that's what well, I that, saw. Well
0: that that and now at, because of that second episode of my show, everyone saw that. Yeah. yeah. There's no question no about question. that. And there's no reason to talk about, you know, anything that you know about the guy that right. You know, it, it, but yeah. But the one thing I didn't realize, not unlike Fear Factor, you know, in in retrospect is that video, because of the the way it got around was really on some level uh, you know, your you and Carla's wedding video <laughs> that that you I mean, how many years like not unlike Fear Factor has it taken you to distance yourself from that situation?
1: Yeah, no, it still comes up. You know, people will still yell it out places. You know, it's, it's still uh, it's I'm connected to him forever because of that video. And how do you feel about that? Well, if I had a chance to do it all over again, I probably wouldn't have for a bunch of reasons, because even if you're right, when you put out a lot of negative energy like that, you're going to get a lot of negative energy from people unsolicited in return. Mm. It's just it's unavoidable. It's just this weird, you know, backlash sort of a thing. The wave comes in and it goes out. And when you you also when you when you know, when you're you're you're. Arguing with someone and yelling with someone—it's very difficult to distinguish between you and them. You know, you're connected to this this shitty person, and you're yelling the shitty person. And that shitty person's yelling at you, and it's just a big emotional mess. And you know, there's you, you open yourself up for all these people to make these decisions on on who you are based on that. For me, it was the the whole thing was completely unplanned out. And I think I explained this to you when I when I saw you recently when we did the um, the green room thing yeah. with Paul Provenza. The, what happened was he he went on stage after me and he wasn't supposed to be there Kurt Fox was up and he went up and took the microphone from Kurt Fox and uh, said uh, you know something about me and if I didn't have the balls to say any of that shit to his face and and you know, and I was still in the room, so I went back I'm on stage. I go, "What are you talking about? Like, what are, you, what are you saying?" And then all of a sudden, we're in this argument, and it just so happened my friend Brian was in the back of the room filming it. It was just random. He didn't find out about it until it had already started. Someone yelled to him, "Hey, Joe and Brian, and Carlos are on stage together," so he went and filmed it. And none of it was planned out. And if I had a chance to do it all again, I certainly wouldn't have uh, approached it the same way. I, I certainly wouldn't have been uh, angry with him. I certainly do you would.
0: think that in retrospect. It served the point that you were trying to make that, you know, whether the video, if it was a difference between the video being out there or not, do you think that he learned his
1: lesson? He certainly did. He had to. there's, There's no way. He's a totally different person now. The way he deals with people, the way he deals with clubs, the way he doesn't run the light anymore. And he's been exposed for what he was doing. That what he, was the only... what he was doing was horrible, man. It wasn't like an issue of you know you have a bit on Kmart and I have a bit on Kmart and you think that maybe I saw your bit and copied it and changed some shit around. It was a, a situation where a guy was going on before people and doing their best bits on purpose. I
0: think it was his way of you know, of literally annihilating other people.
1: Yes, and it was also his way of overcoming some horrible shit that yeah. happened to him. Yeah, you know We're not we're yeah, not a justice right, to talk about that. And, and I it, it, what what it was is a, a sick person is a sick person who people were making money off of these clubs and the the networks that were hiring him they knew his history especially the clubs they all knew exactly what was going on and And they didn't have a problem with it because they were making money right and and no one was willing to stop it and you know we we put that video out going good fuck this guy you know that's that's that was my attitude and whatever it was 2006 or 7 or whenever, whenever it happened it was like fuck this guy. Now people are going to get to see this because this is it was gross, man. It was a real problem where we he would come into the room and people would flash the light so that we knew that he was on stage, and it was way more than it, it I'd ever seen before. I'd seen guys who were questionable before, and there'd been guys that, you know, there's always this parallel thinking and there's you know there's there's people that that, that sound like other people and do and, versions
0: and, of other people. Yeah, yeah, but
1: this was a different thing. This yeah. was a, a guy who was a sick person. Well, that's
0: the one thing I found in talking to him that second time that. Uh, you know the the one thing that happens it seems when i when i talk to somebody for an hour and, and i think that the 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 way that the two things complemented each other was that it's very easy in our business uh we know each other you know at least a bit you know you know what was going on with him but everybody out in the world who just sees him on television or just sees that video you know it's very easy to to you know to to make him a a, a villain and 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 just hate on this one dimension of this guy. Mm. And the one thing that I learned with him sitting there is that you know, he's he's troubled
1: beyond anything I understand. Yeah, he's a victim as much as he is a villain, no doubt about it. And did you, did that come to
0: you after? I mean, like <sighs> as after that video, did did you have do you have
1: empathy for the guy? I had empathy for him that night. I had empathy that what you saw in that video is ten minutes of what happened over forty minutes on stage. Forty minutes, and on also stage. how many and, years of friendship? And by that point, it was two thousand seven, uh, more than a decade, more than a decade of knowing him, more than a decade of seeing him do Jeff Foxworthy bits right off of a CD. But Richard at, Pryor. In bits. the
0: evolution of your friendship with him, because it seems to me that you guys, you know, uh, were genuinely friends at some time. Well, yeah, between not close. All we, right, we but barely knew each other. But you were there every night with him, and, and yeah. you guys, because you're you 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 you're both fairly you know competitive dudes. I'm sure there was some cockfighting going on.
1: No, when initially, no. Initially, it was I didn't have any friends in L.A. I moved here, and and him and his cousin were nice guys, and they invited me to go hang out with them a couple of times, and we went and played pool. How many went, times did you talk to him about this problem once you acknowledged it? Twice, twice, you know, twice. In twice in two long, years? two long conversations early. Where I I pulled him aside and I said, Hey man, you know you're you're doing this and you're doing that. Like, what's going on? It was just me and him. I pulled him aside. Yeah. I, I tried. I was just trying to like tell him like maybe you fell asleep with the TV on. You didn't realize it. Yeah. I didn't know like what the the depth of yeah, yeah. the issue was. Mm. And it was just denial and weird squirrely behavior, and just the way he was talking was like a crazy person talking. Mm-hmm. Just it was all total denial, mm-hmm. and uh, you know I just distanced myself from him. I stopped hanging out with him. So now, in after this, you know, video has been
0: out there. Now, do you, <laughs> how do you distance yourself from that?
1: Well, I don't know. It's, it is what it is. There's nothing I could do. Yeah. I mean, I I guess talking about it like this sort yeah. of kind of clarifies wh- where where oh. I was when it happened and what it was, but. What do I, I don't Like I said, I don't think I would have done it again, but it was a good thing that it happened. It was a good thing for, for certainly for stand-up. It was a good thing for people also realizing, young people that are coming up, you can't do that. And there's a lot of people that are still doing that, man. There's a real issue they, with guys that were always, opening up for him.
0: I know, yeah, and, they, and, and and it's always happened, but not in that degree. I mean, you know, this is an evolution of, a, of an art form. You know, where there was a period in stand-ups history before stand-ups were stand-ups where everyone did the same fucking joke. Sure. But once people took ownership of
1: their points of view. I had a, uh, an issue with Buddy Hackett. I uh, was, uh, hosting, really? was hosting Last it? Comic Standing. It wasn't my fault. Oh, yeah. I was hosting Last Comic... Or it was, uh, whether one of the judges... On last comic standing, me, Monique, and Buddy Hackett, and uh, there's a guy goes up, and this there's, there's guy Ant, you know who he is, yeah, and he's fucking doing jokes from movies, man. He's doing like from the movie Boiler Room, doing a punchline about, you know, uh, you know, they should uh, put you people on an island. They did. It's called Manhattan. I yeah, mean, that's from Boiler Room. Sure, he's doing this and killing. I, th- I
0: think it might have originally been from Larry Ambrose's act.
1: I think it was from Jim uh, David. Jim maybe. David. Yeah. Yes. So the, they the stole movie it from, him, from the yeah, movie, yeah, and right. he stole it from the movie. And so anyway, I compliment the guy and say you know you've got great stage presence your delivery is awesome mm-hmm. you're really dynamic but i've heard those jokes before i've heard a lot of them before and i start you know naming where i've heard them like mm-hmm. you know you can't just fucking do this on tv mm-hmm. and buddy hackett goes crazy buddy Hackett goes
0: fuck you you fucking asshole who are you to tell him i never heard those jokes
1: before and he's going crazy screaming at me and he's wearing gloves he's a, he's a weird, weird guy at this mm-hmm. point he's wore gloves on his hands, and I—I I think like you know, should I yell back at this guy? Like, yeah. what the fuck do I do here? Yeah. So I say nothing. I decide to just say nothing. Yeah. I decide to just look at him and just just say, "All right, you, what you're saying is what you're saying. I'm not gonna even going to react to you." Uh-huh. And he died two weeks later. Uh-huh. He, and I was thinking, "Fuck! What if I yelled at him? What if yeah. I said, fuck you, you old douchebag!'" And ah! yeah. And then it, it ex- escalated, and he had a heart attack on the yeah. spot. I made know? that mistake with Gallagher. <laughs> That's why <what> you did. <laughs> You fucking did, too, man, because for sure that kicked things up For <laughs> the notch. same
0: reason, really. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you, you was better off to take the high road. Well, I just, you know, I made a choice. Well, know? it's good talking to you, Joe. Good I think, talking to uh, you, too. I'm glad we did this. I, I think we had a good conversation. Yeah. And I think, I think so we too. know each other better now. Absolutely. All right, man. Thanks. Okay, that's our show. See that? Me and Joe are friends. We just need to talk about a few things. Wasn't even that tense at all. He was rather sweet. I'm finding that these days. People come on my show and they act a little more low-key, a little more human than they do in their own worlds. I guess that's what I'm doing here. Just a reminder, you can get that uh, second show we did at the Bell House in Brooklyn with Bill Hader, Fred Armisen, Chuck Klosterman, Sarah Vowell, and Eric Drysdale right now on any of the apps. The apps for iPhone, iPod, iPod Touch. Droid, You can get the WTF Premium. If you go to a WTF pod, select Get the Podcast, go to the non-iTunes option, and load up on that premium, and you can listen to that right now. It will be up for everyone on April 7th. And as I said before, April 4th, the Conan O'Brien episode will occur. Looking forward to that. What else can I tell you? Just JustCoffee.coop, as always. Awesome. Get the WTF blend. I get a little kickback on that. You can go to WTF Pod, kicking a few shekels. Keep me alive and living and moving forward and enjoying life and doing this show. Well, let's not go crazy with the enjoying life thing. But you know what I mean. PunchwineMagazine.com for all your up-to-date comedy news. I think that's about it. Is it not? I know I'm forgetting something. Oh, I remember. Madison, Wisconsin at the Comedy Club on State Street. Thursday, the 31st through the second the comedy club on State Street in Madison, Wisconsin I'll be there come on down